<laughs> I felt so loved and welcomed here. Uh, I love the vibe here. I love all the colors. I love all these slides up here, the worship and the greeting and everybody. And, and then I didn't know. So you can wear tennis shoes and flip-flops and, uh, you know. But uh, anyways, it's so good to be here. Before we start, you mind if we pray? Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Father, and we're so grateful and privileged to be able to call you our Father. And we know it's because of nothing we did. It's nothing we bring. It's all because of you and your Son. You searched us out. You found us. You gave us your name. And you called us your own. And you told us that uh, anything that's in your hand can't be plucked out. And so we're safe in there. We want to stay there. We admit to you, we're sinners. And uh, without your grace, we'd have no hope. And without your, your life and mercy, we'd have no purpose, Lord. And I pray now, speak to us from your word, something personal, something challenging, something convicting, something encouraging, perhaps. And then, Father, um, you told us if we draw close to you, you would draw close to us. So we're counting on that, and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know what? Uh, you guys are a bunch of Hananis. Did you know that? <laughs> I don't mean to insult you. That's a compliment. In the Bible, there's a guy named Hanani, and he's described as one who loves God more than many. And you love God more than many because you're here. Uh, you could be at the Church of St. Mattress, and you could still be, <laughs> you know, you could still be uh, dreaming, but you're here. You're here to uh, seek God, and the Lord told us if we sought for him, we'd find him. Uh, I did want you to know you're so loved by your pastor. He's so uh, always thinking of you, always praying for you, always, oh, doing something for you. If it's staying up late studying, it's praying. If it's uh, thinking of other things to do for you, um, he's always uh, in that mode. And so, um, he asked me to relate to you this morning. Um, I got a text from him. The Philippines team, uh, as uh, Ken described, they, they spent 26 hours in travel, and the minute they landed, they were busy. They are already at it, you know. And so uh, they've got a young team, but they've got a lot of energy as well. And so he asked to uh, keep praying for them, and he's praying for us. Um, I was also blessed this morning. There's a prayer group that meets here at 9 in the morning, and I was really touched. I mean, they're praying for everybody. They're praying for all the kids. They're praying for all the situations, all the missionaries. They pray for you. And I would encourage you, if, um, if you don't uh, participate in that, uh, consider it. And um, without further ado, let's go ahead and open our Bibles to uh, Psalm 127. All right. <laughs> Someone likes that psalm. <laughs> But Psalm 127 is special to me. And, you know, have you ever run into those people? They make you feel uncomfortable. Because they, they ask you things like, so what's the Lord been doing in your life lately? And you go, uh, <laughs> you know, um, I don't know. He's been, uh, you know, and they have this, oh, they have this uh, work in their life that's so amazing already. And. You know, I'm afraid to say anything, you know, and uh, get one-upped on that. And, but uh, the truth of the matter is God is busy at work in each of our lives. And he's working in you, through you, with you. And that work has to do with relationships with him and relationships with each other and with other people as well. 
And so that's what this Psalm 127 is about. And if you could humor me, and let's read it out loud together. It's Psalm 127. It's page 701. <laughs> but Psalm 127, not 100 verse 27, not ver- Psalm 1 verse 27. It's Psalm 127. And we'll just, it's a short one. We'll read it through. Ready? Count of three. One, two, three. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It's vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is his reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. And I love this psalm because it's telling me God's busy at work. He's working in my life. He's building me up. That's what a house is. A house is our life. A house is our marriage. A house is our generations, our church, our community. I mean, you've heard it said, the house of Abraham, the house of Jacob, the house of David. Um, That's referring to us. And so it says here, unless the Lord builds the house. And so building in the Hebrew has more, there's a fuller meaning to than what you and I might conceive. And in our English, building, we might think of a structure. We might think of um, a storefront, a a high-rise, a tall building. But in the Hebrew, it has a little, uh, there's more connotation to it. It means a building, but it also means established, to establish, to cause, to continue. And so what is the Lord building, establishing, causing, or continuing in you, in your life, in your family, in your home? And so if you're here, if you can hear me, God is definitely building, God is definitely establishing, God is definitely causing, and God is definitely continuing something in your life that helps you draw closer to him, that helps you reveal Jesus to others around you, to your family, and to your world. And so looking at that first word, it says, unless, the first verse, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Well, what does that mean for the Lord to build my house? What does that mean for the Lord to build my life? What does it mean to build my marriage or my family? And it means that we make him the Lord of our life. It means that we follow and ordain our lives and order our lives according to his word, according to his ways. And that's what it means by the Lord building our house. And so those of you that are in construction or those of you that have remodeled or those of you that have even tried to repair something in your home, some of you had to get permits for it. And to get approved for that permit, you have to demonstrate some things. You have to demonstrate you have a plan or a blueprint Someone qualified to make that plan, like an engineer who understands all the different uh, specifics and specs that are needed. And so that was the minimum. And then after that, the materials had to be approved. And after that, the methodology and the structure and the uh, process had to be approved. And similarly, it says, unless the Lord builds a house, we're doing it in vain. And I don't know if you're one of those people that have experienced doing it in vain or doing it on your own. I, I've done things on my own and uh, found out it was futile, found out it was vain. 
And it wasn't until I turned it over to the Lord uh, that uh, things worked out. And even more, they worked out even more amazing than I had thought I could ask or pray. And doesn't Jesus say he could do that? And so, unless the Lord builds the house, how many of you here are still single? Okay, so we've got some singles. And so, and how many of you are married? How many of you have grandchildren? Oh, we've got a great mix here. I love that. See what I mean? I love the vibe here. And those of you that are single, unless the Lord builds a house, that means starting with the Lord being the Lord of your life and then not settling for anyone else as a mate who doesn't love the Lord. Otherwise, you're unequally yoked. And so it starts with that foundation. But unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain who build it. And so it's futility, it's emptiness, it's frustration. If you've experienced doing things on your own, you know. If you haven't, be warned. Turn it over to God. Let God direct and guide you in your life, in the choice of a mate, in the choice of a career, uh, in all your decisions. Uh, put him first. And so unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain. And unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. In verse 2 it says, It's vain for you to rise up early to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. For so, he gives his beloved sleep. And this is talking about stress and anxiety. And today we live in a time that at all ages, there's stress and anxiety. It used to be people would say things like the carefreeness of childhood. But childhood is no longer carefree. You know, it's so stressful. I couldn't be a child anymore, you know. Uh, <laughs> I couldn't pass all those tests that they have to take. And um, I thank God that it, if I just smiled at the teacher and said, here every morning, I passed, you know. And uh, now, gosh, they have to know how to use the computer. They have to know how to log in. And uh, I'd have been lost. And, but here we're talking about a stress. And we stress about doing everything just right. Um, our careers, our school our social life, gosh, our social life is so on display on social media, you know, and that causes stress. But God is saying it's vain for you to rise up early, sit up late, eat the bread of sorrow, but he gives his beloved sleep. Those of us who allowed God to be the Lord of our life, we've experienced that peace that comes only from him. And so here's what I want to um, get to. Verse 3, it says, Behold. And so there's an emphasis here. God's drawing our attention. He's telling us, pay attention to this. This is special to me. And so he says, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is his reward. And yeah, there are days that we don't feel that. We feel like it's a punishment. Um, I always worried. My mom used to always tell me things like, you're going to have a kid just like you. And I go, oh, no. Oh, my gosh, that was the scariest thing to imagine because I wasn't the best kid. But if you raise them up in the ways of the Lord, they'll not soon depart. And my son's been being raised in the ways of the Lord. So far, so good. But it says children are inherited from the Lord. It's an attitude. The fruit of the womb is his reward. And so I hate the thought of thinking children are a nuisance or an inconvenience you know, or a hindrance. They're supposed to be a reward. They're supposed to be a joy and a gift. And I hate the term illegitimate child. There's no illegitimate child. There might be illegitimate parents, but there's no illegitimate child. 
And so, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is his reward. And so there are some societies, there are some cultures that find it legal to terminate the death of an a infant, you know, uh, unborn, or even a born, uh, a newborn, depending on gender. Some cultures, some societies will let you uh, terminate the life of that baby. But God is saying they're a heritage and they're a reward. The fruit of the womb is its reward. And so here we're seeing God teach us about prioritizing Him in our life. And then in verse 4 it tells us, They are like arrows in the hand of a warrior. And so all of a sudden he changes pace here. You know, we're talking about peace, we're talking about satisfaction. And now we're talking military, uh, militaristic terms. Children are like arrows in the hand of a warrior. Anybody here ever shoot a bow and arrow? Let's see. Okay, so a lot of you have. I'm guessing recreation type, either in a PE class or a summer camp. Is that the case? How many of you have shot a bow and arrow? You know they come in ratings, right? So those of you that shot bow and arrows in recreation classes and PE classes, uh, etc., those bows are rated at about 25 pounds. And that's what it means. It takes about 25 pounds of strength and pressure to shoot that bow. How many of you have ever shot a bow that's rated higher than 40 pounds? Okay, now we're getting to some serious uh, shooters here. And they're either shooting for recreation, to put a trophy uh, on their wall or in their den, or to eat dinner or something, you know, eat dinner for months. But 40-pound bow, a lot of times people might use a 40-pound bow to hunt small game. You know, we're talking possums, raccoons, um, what else? Um, Well, deer, people that shoot deer might use a little stronger bow, but let's say deer. You know, now you're talking about people that are getting into the 65-pound to 80-pound, and uh, that requires some serious strength, as you can imagine, just to hold it steady. But then there's some people that shoot with 90-pound bows, 100-pound bows, and a 90-pound bow can send a metal tip arrow through a solid concrete block wall and 90 pounds. And so... What kind of people use those, you know? Like I said, crazy people, you know? <laughs> they go shooting after bears. Uh, why would you want to do that? You can't outrun them. You can't outswim them. You can't outclimb them. And why would you, you know? And if you don't hit it just right, it's awfully mad, <laughs> you know? And he's got you in his sights. And so just bring someone like your brother-in-law who can't run faster than you, you know? You'll be okay. But like arrows in the hand of a warrior, why does God use this? Why does God switch to this mode of communication? He wants us to understand something. There is a spiritual battle going on. There is a, an extreme warfare for the family, for the marriage, for the church. And if you don't realize it, just pick up the newspaper. Just tell someone at work, you love Jesus Christ. And see what happens, you know. Um, go tell someone on the street. You, you love Jesus Christ, and they should do. See what happens. And we've got a society that's hell-bent on uh, persecuting the church, confronting the church, um, opposing the church. And so 
arrows in the hand, children are like arrows in the hand of a warrior. And so that warrior is the, are the parents. And so there's a militaristic, there's a spiritual warfare attitude God wants us to understand. And our children are the stake sometimes. And they're also our weapon. And so arrows in the hand of a warrior are like children, uh, children of our youth. Think about shooting that arrow. Think about those guys that uh, like to shoot deer for dinner. Or let's say you were back at the turn of the century and you had to bring home a deer or something for dinner. If I saw a deer just right out here, you know, in those bushes, that's not a gimme. You know, it's a unique weapon. A bow and arrow is not something you can just easily pick up. Like someone rushing me through that door right now for my life and livelihood, my weapon of choice would not be a bow and arrow. You know, I'd have to tell them, time out. <laughs> okay, now come at me, you know. And if I missed him, I'm in trouble. I would rather use this water bottle and throw it at him. I'd rather use my mom's high heel, you know. I'd rather use my dad's belt. But the bow and arrow wouldn't be the weapon of choice. It's a unique weapon. It requires practice. It requires ex some expertise. It requires stealth. It requires uh, planning. And so uh, bringing home dinner means I have to account for a lot of things. You know, if I'm going to bring home deer in the bushes for dinner, I have to account for gravity. I have to account for distance. I have to account for wind. I have to account for brush and leaves in the way. And then if that thing moves, oh no, I'm going to starve and go without dinner again, you know. And so it takes some practice. I account for all things. And so then, and I'm apologizing already. Those of you that are animal lovers, and uh, I'm not trying to offend you. I'm trying to just establish a principle and a point. And so if I'm going to bring home that dinner, two things are going to happen. When I let go of the arrow, I'm either going to hit the target or I'm going to miss the target. And hitting and missing depends on my practice, depends on my aim. And so why are children like arrows in the hand of a warrior? Well, we want them to hit a target also, don't we? And so I want my son to hit the target of understanding that he needs to work hard, he needs to be honest, he needs to love God, he needs to love people, he needs to love his wife, he needs to love his dad and his mom, <laughs> you know. And I set a target for him. And his ability to hit that will depend on my instruction to him as well as my example. And so if I try to teach him by example, if I'm not treating my wife with respect, if I'm not being honest in the workplace, if he sees me to asking him to participate, I tell him I'm not home. Uh, uh, just make up anything, you know. Or he hears me abusing my wife verbally or sees me abusing her physically. I can tell him to respect women all day long, but he's not going to hit that target. But when my word, my instruction matches my example, he has a better chance. But again, that bow and arrow is a unique weapon. And so I can draw that bow and that arrow. I can launch it. But I don't get a redo. If I miss the target, I don't get a redo. And so is it that crucial? Is it that critical with our kids? 
Almost. I mean, kids are a little more resilient. God gives us a little more chances and opportunity. But he's trying to under, help us understand a concept. There comes a time our kids are launched to be adults on their own, right? They have to feed themselves. They have to shelter themselves when they leave home at 40. No, just kidding. <laughs> but we have to launch them, and they have to be able to fend for themselves. They have to be able to lead their families in prayer. They have to be able to study the Word. They have to be able to work and keep a job. They have to be able to uh, be useful to society. And so, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. And then it says, happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. Well, my brother, the Valencias, we call him the Valencias North. He's got a full quiver, I would admit. But the quiver is supposed to be home. It's a place of protection. It's a place of protection from elements, from theft, from damage, even just to keep order. You know, where are my arrows again, you know? If they're in the quiver, I know where they are. And so at the right time, I can launch them. And so like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. And then... It says, happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. Well, what kind of arrows, what kind of kids are we supposed to raise? In verse 5 it says, they shall not be ashamed. So these are kids that are confident. And some of us are already done. We've already raised our kids. But you still have an impact. You still have an influence on kids that see you and kids that watch you. I know for me, I, I've always been fascinated with people watching uh, one of my favorite activities uh, would be to go to the airport and people watch. And I used to love watching the arrival section of the airport because there's a lot of joy. You know, people see each other, they're looking at each other through the walkway, and they see each other and they run and they hug, you know. But down the departure side, it was so, it was so sad. So, you know, people are crying, you know, and for whatever reasons, people are leaving somewhere. And if you've ever experienced that, um, you understand that. And so people watching is one of my favorite things. But here it says um, these arrows are the kind of people that won't be ashamed. So these are kids that are confident. Kids are confident about what? About who they are, who God is, what a man is, what a woman is, what a man does, what a woman does, what life might be like. And so you all affect and impact people, consciously or subconsciously. Like I said, when I was people watching, I saw the different age groups. And uh, I remember one of my childhood friends, his sister was uh, having her 13th birthday party. And we were younger. And we always heard things about teenagers, you know, they change or whatever. So on her 13th birthday, my friend and I, we were at his house and we just kept watching her. We were waiting to see if she was going to change and how she was going to change. And all day long, we just kept watching her, you know. And she didn't change. Her voice didn't change. She didn't grow a beard. She didn't grow taller. And we thought, how is she different, you know. But those of you that have teenagers, you know, they change, right. And so these kids are supposed to be confident about who they are, what they're going to be. And they get that from observing you observing aunts and uncles, observing cousins, observing 
people that go to the same church, people in the community. And so these kids that we're supposed to raise are supposed to be confident. And it says they shall speak with their enemies in the gate. And so this means they're not afraid to stick up for what they know is right. And they're not afraid to oppose what they know is wrong. And that's the problem today. A lot of our kids don't know right and wrong. And then a lot of our kids aren't willing to stick up or stand up. And so it says they shall speak with their enemies in the gate. And so these kids are not obnoxious and they're not arrogant. But they know what's right, and they're not going to be persuaded to go along with what's wrong. And they shall speak with their enemies in the gate. Well, how do these children learn that? They learn that from us. They learn that from people at the church. They learn that from uh, relatives. They learn that uh, mostly from us. And so we have an obligation. We have a responsibility to teach our kids. And so allowing God to build our house, well, again, how do we do that? Well, it starts with the Lord being the Lord of our life. It starts with starting our every day with Him. And it doesn't mean you adopt a certain set of rules. It doesn't mean you wear a certain style of clothes. Um, like I said, I, was, I love the vibe here. I, if I knew I could have worn my shorts and flip-flops that I was wearing yesterday, I would have been wearing my shorts and flip-flops, you know. But... We learn these, we uh, learn these by being real with God, being honest with God. And so it might start with, Lord, I blew it again. Can you forgive me? And yes, he can. When we're sincere, yes, he can. Lord, I need your help. This person is especially hard for me, especially difficult for me to, to be nice to, to enjoy, uh, to be pleasant with. And yes, he can definitely help us with that. And it starts with allowing him to build us. And then allowing him to build our home as a husband, as a father. Um, I've tried to model and I've tried to uh, enforce and teach my son a love for the word. And I'm happy to say, gosh, it blesses me to see in the morning... He's doing devotionals. He's having time with God. And then he'll come encourage me if he sees that I'm stressing about work or something. He'll remind me. He'll quote me a scripture that helps me get through it. And so it starts with, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. And unless the Lord guards the city. So my questions, if you're here, um, what are you busying with yourself with? It's vain for us to rise up early, sit up late, eat the bread of sorrows. What are we busy with? What stresses us out? And it's okay to be stressed. It's okay to get tired. It's okay to labor. If we're laboring in the right thing with the right motive. But a lot of times our stress comes because we're laboring in the wrong thing with the wrong motive. And so is our motive to please God? Then yeah, you persevere, you endure, you go through it. If our Motive is to impress other people. Now you think about it. Um, do I want to impress God or do I want to impress people? And then my attitude towards the next generation. Um, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is his reward. You know that Philippines trip. Um, I love that because on that trip I understand there's someone over 70 years old on that trip. And then there's someone as young as 16 or 17 on that trip. And they're all working together, and I saw pictures of them working side by side, and I love that. I saw this, uh, this older guy reaching down, uh, talking to one of the little Filipino kids, and the child looks like 
she's about three or four. That means in Filipino age, she's really seven or eight, you know. But um, to see that guy reaching down, that blesses me. And so this is what it's all about. It's about being part of the house, being about the church, and uh, being about God's work. And so, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, what are we pointing our kids to? What, are, what kind of example are we setting for them? Uh, what is their concept of a man? What is their concept of church? Do they think that church is just something you go to on Sundays, or do they think that church is being a part? And so, let's close with this. If you can... Uh, Turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. And we see a structure that God gives us as far as the church goes. And if you're in Ephesians chapter 4, follow with me in verse 11. And it says this, He himself gave some to be apostles, which are like messengers or missionaries in today, uh, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And verse 12 tells us the purpose, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And so this is what we were all called to do. We are all called to be active participants in the church God has placed us. We're all asked to, when I say active not everyone's going to be a pastor teacher. Not everyone can work with the kids. I used to work in the children's ministry. I used to work with the junior high. And I just got done asking the kids to be quiet, to pay attention, you know. And this kid comes swinging the door. He swung it so hard, the doorknob put a hole in the wall. I lost it. And I looked at him and go, what did I just say? And I got in his face, you know, and... He goes, you said to be quiet. And I go, what did you do? He goes, I made a noise and disrupted the class. And I go, you see that hole in the wall you just made? He goes, yes. I go, I'm going to put you in there. <laughs> and then, right when I was saying that, the overseer for the children's ministry walked by. <laughs> so I don't serve in the children's ministry. <laughs> I recognize, I recognize. But not all of us are called to the same ministry. Not all of us are called to the same duty. And so some of you have gifts and talents that you've been asking God, God, how can I serve you? Do you have any use for? And one of the ways that you might answer that question is to ask it a different way. Maybe if you asked, wow, that would be neat if... Because I know some of these things are born out of ideas that someone said, that would be neat if. That would be neat if we had cool colors. That'd be neat if we had tables and chairs in the back. That'd be neat if we had bagels and coffee. I'm going to go share this with some people at my church, you know. <laughs> That'd be neat if. And, so, and then when I got here, um, the tech staff here, man, they're so uh, accommodating. They're asking me, uh, what kind of mic do you prefer? And I go, what kind of mic is there? You know? They go, well, we got the pulpit mic. We got the, uh, the wireless mic. And uh, I, pulpit's fine. Then they uh, mentioned that they could put scriptures up on the, on the screen. I go, wow, that's really cool, you know. And then they're telling me that uh, I have a limited time because this is going to get broadcast and it has to stay within a certain co- uh, time constraint. And I'm going, wow, all these things that are going on. 
And I, I understand it's viewed on cable channels, and so a lot of this came about with people answering that question and responding, that would be neat if. And so that would be neat if what? And that might be an idea for you to contribute for the welfare of your church, for the benefit of others. And it says it's for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of fullness of Christ. And so our goal, our desire is to be like Jesus Christ. And so I might not be able to help someone be like Jesus Christ by serving in the children's ministry, but I serve in the marriage ministry at our church, and that seems to have fit me well. And so God has been able to use me there, and it's all part of becoming more like Jesus and helping others, husbands and wives and uh, fiancés, become more like Jesus. And it says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine. And so one of the parts of being actively involved in your church is also part of your protection. And so part of your protection is not being persuaded by every whim, every social movement. You're a found, you have a foundation that's on, on the Word of God, based on the Word of God, based on His work in your life. And then you become a strength for other people as well so that they're not easily tricked and influenced and moved. And then in verse 15 it says, here's the mode that we're supposed to operate in. We're supposed to speak truth and love with each other so that we may grow up in all things in Him who's the head Christ from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. And so some of you have, may have uh, experienced an injury before. Anyone here ever experienced either a, a broken bone or um, a ligament, a tendon? So you know, you know the stress that it caused on the other parts of the body. But amazingly, your body was able to cover for it if you injured your right leg, the rest of your body covered for it till it healed. But if it didn't heal right away, then you recognize it started taxing the other parts of your body. Then you started having sore hips and sore knees, sore backs, you know, and so on. And that's what happens to the body when we're not actively participating. If we're not praying for our pastor, if we're not offering of ideas, if we're not contributing to the labor, to the help, or the finances, the body will suffer. And so we're supposed to be knit together and committed to each other, caring about one another, according to the effective working by which every part does its share. And it causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. And that's the glue. That's the tendon. That's the connection. It's the love. And we do it because we love. So another way that you could answer that question is when you find yourself complaining. Man, it takes them forever to do this, you know. That might be an opportunity for you to get involved. Hey, could I help out with whatever? Um, could I help out with picking up the trash in the parking lot? Could I help by um, taking down signs, help putting things away? Hey, can I help by cleaning some of those trays or bringing in some donuts? Or, Well, you guys are a little more healthy than Southern Cal. You don't bring in donuts. You bring in kale, right? And, and those green drinks or smoothies or something. But uh, we get donuts down south. But um, it's all part of being the family. It's all part of being the church. It's all part of being the house that God builds. Let's pray. My Father, I thank you so much for the privilege of getting to share with these beloved people, Lord. 
I pray, Father, that uh, someone here has been touched, Lord, in some way to draw closer to you and then to contribute, Lord, to be an active part of this body. Father, I praise you for that prayer group that meets. Uh, I pray you continue to bless them and anoint them, direct their prayers, and I pray that you do amazing things here, Father. I pray you set the Scotts Valley on fire and beyond Scotts Valley. I pray for Santa Cruz and all the surrounding communities. Father, I pray for ministries and ministers to be raised up from this body. I pray for the teens. I pray for the children. I pray for parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles. I pray for our families represented here and those that couldn't make it, Father. I pray for that Philippines group. I pray for your blessing and anointing upon them, strength and unity, peace and joy, safety. I pray you keep them from sickness, illness, and then uh, bring them back changed, Lord, more powerful, more assertive in you. I ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen.